And before we read God's Word and preach from it, let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we lift up our minds and hearts to You, and we thank You that You have come down to us by Your Spirit and Word. And so, Lord, uh, in a service like this, we are in heaven with You, and You are here on earth with us. And we thank You for this wonderful grace. Will You minister to our hearts now as we read Your Word and as it is preached? Give us illumination and the wisdom to apply the Word of God to our hearts and help us to be teachable and humble, ready to receive You and Your will for our lives as revealed in the Bible. And so we present ourselves, our whole lives, to You as living sacrifices. And may You take us and use us and let our lives be consecrated to You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the passage is 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Here the Bible says, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which cause disputes, rather than godly edification, which is in faith. And then to the text that we are looking at, verses 18 through 20 of 1 Timothy 1. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience which some, having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Amen. That is the holy word of God. Blessed be his name. We thank God for it. Well, at the beginning of 2024, we, uh, as God's people, we can happily confess that Jesus Christ, our Lord, is building His church. Do you remember Jesus said, I will build my church, and He is. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, Christ is building His church. He is building on the foundation of the church, the foundation of the apostles. And one of the apostles is, of course, Paul. Now, the pastoral letters of the apostle Paul give us clear truths from God so that we will know how to live in the church and also what we are to believe in Christ's church. Now, in these pastoral letters... 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. We are not told everything here. Other passages of the New Testament tell us about how we are to live in the church and what we are to believe in the church. But what is here in these pastoral letters is vital for the health and ministry of the local church of our Savior. So here's an illustration. At the beginning of a long road trip, you always fuel up the gas tank. 
as you prepare for that trip. Well, texts like this here in the Bible, they are like a fuel up for the church at the beginning of a new year. They're like a fuel up for us. At the beginning of a new year, may this text fire you up here at Bethel Church to go on for Jesus Christ. You see, in this passage, we should get fueled up for a wonderful truth. Here we're given a clear, unique direction which should be part of the life of this congregation here in Elmer. We, the Church of Christ, must fight the good warfare of the faith, which is to preach the gospel, to live the gospel, and to stand for God's gospel in this world. Let me remind us that the gospel, that is Christ himself, is the only power of God unto salvation. There's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved than the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And thus, the gospel is the only power that builds the church. There is no other power that builds a congregation like the power of Jesus and his wonderful, glorious gospel. And so we can understand Paul's passion in the text that we read in verses 3 and 4 and verses 18 through 20. We can understand God's serious charge that he gives to Timothy and that God gives to the church. Here in the text in verses 18 through 20, we learn that the church is entrusted with a charge. We need to remember that at the beginning of a new year, that This is an important place in Elmer. Here heaven and earth meet. This is actually the hope of this city. The church of Christ, the body of Christ, the place where the gospel is proclaimed. And you and I are part of it. And we are entrusted with a charge here in this wonderful community. And secondly, we learn that keeping this charge involves battling a good warfare, which means standing for the gospel and spreading the gospel of our Savior Jesus. So let's bring our hearts and minds to this passage. Let's take it into our lives that, yes, we, together with our covenant children, we are entrusted with a charge. We know Paul gave Timothy a charge. Paul first gave his charge to Timothy in chapter 1, verse 3. And then here in verse 18, Paul repeats it again. And the word charge here in the text is a military word, meaning an order, a command that has to be carried out. So Paul, under inspiration, gave Timothy a command that had to be carried out. And then notice the word commit or entrust. It says in verse 18, this charge I commit to you, son Timothy. This word has the double-sided meaning of safekeeping and transmitting to others. The safekeeping and the transmission to others. So pastors and, and elders and deacons and you, the congregation, are given the gospel, you are given the word of God for safekeeping because the church is the pillar and ground of 
truth, and you are given the charge to give that gospel out. You're to keep it safe and true, and then you're to give it out. This theme is in the pastoral letters over and over again in 1 Timothy 3 and 1 Timothy 6 and 2 Timothy 1 and 2 Timothy 2 and Titus chapter 1 as well. This idea, this reality of uh, receiving an order from God uh, to be entrusted with the gospel and then to keep the gospel safe and then to give out the gospel was part of Paul's whole ministry. And now he commits it to Timothy. Timothy was charged to stop any who were teaching doctrines different than those given by the apostles. We read of that in verses 3 and 4. But then, on a positive note, he was also charged to wage a good warfare that we read of in verse 18 and 19. That is, he was charged with a duty to teach and preach and to pass on the gospel. After all, the gospel of Christ is the only hope for human forgiveness. There is no other answer for sinners than Christ. There's no other hope for people in this world than God, our mighty God who is triune and who has come and fleshed Himself in the Savior to die on the cross and rise again. Young people and children and adults He's the only hope for true human living. So you see, we we have this treasure of the gospel in earthen vessels here at Bethel Church. And if people in this community were to come to our Savior, they would come to life, hope, happiness forever. This is the treasure we have. And Paul charged Timothy to guard it, keep it, and pass it on. Well, Paul also charges the church. Through God's Word, the church has received the same charge to preach the gospel, to defend it, to disciple people, and to pass on the gospel. We know that in the Great Commission, that the church is to go into all the world and preach the gospel, teaching people uh, what Christ has taught, making disciples, baptizing them, them in the name of the triune God. We, we think of another passage that really speaks to this reality that, that we are given a charge as a congregation to preach the gospel, defend the gospel, disciple people, and pass it on. It's mentioned by Paul this way in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12 through 19. Listen to what God's Word says. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, church, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophecies, test all things, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. You see the charge that we have amongst ourselves 
to preach the gospel, defend the gospel, disciple one another, pass on the gospel, help each other in the congregation, help our community, live at peace amongst ourselves. Paul put it another way in Ephesians 4. God Himself, Christ Himself, gave gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for you. For you to equip you, the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love that we may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, even into Christ." Yes, we all have this charge to war the good warfare, to teach one another the gospel, to defend the gospel, to disciple people, to pass it on. But you and I, we cannot do this in our own strength. Timothy couldn't do it in his own strength. Paul couldn't do it in his own strength. So God gives us help to accomplish this charge. And Timothy is a testimony to this. Now notice that Timothy was to keep this charge, as the text says in verse 18, according to the prophecies previously made concerning him. I charge, this charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage a good warfare. Now, at some specific time, encouraging prophecies, encouraging words from God had been made about Timothy. We don't know who gave them or what they said, but we know that they were made. And the prophecies were given when the presbyters laid their hands on him. It says this in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 14, Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the eldership or the presbytery. Now this is interesting with the laying on of the hands in connection with the charge that we've been given. You see, all through the Bible, when the laying on of hands occurs in connection with God's church and God's church's calling, it signifies that God the Holy Spirit is gifting and God the Holy Spirit is affirming. And God the Holy Spirit is setting apart for holy use. And God the Holy Spirit is directing that person upon whom the hands have been laid. Well, Timothy received all these things from God to help him. He received the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the affirmation of the Spirit, the sanctification of the Spirit, the directing of the Holy Spirit to help him keep the charge. Paul put it this way in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying out of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so it's interesting, Paul brought all these blessings to Timothy's memory in order to encourage him to go on in doing the charge and keeping the charge. Paul was directing Timothy back to God. Timothy was directed back to God from whom comes our help. 
And so I, as a pastor, I have a charge. It is to defend and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, to do the work of an evangelist, to make disciples. And who in the world will help me? I mean, can I do it? Of course not. Who will help me? Well, I love that promise in Matthew 28, 20 in the Great Commission where he says to all men who are ordained into the gospel ministry that I am with you even to the end of the age. Jesus is with me as I keep the charge. Also, he's given me the gifts of the Holy Spirit to do this task. He's given me faith to come to the pulpit every Sunday morning and Sunday afternoon and the faith to pray for our people and the churches in our communities. Well, our elders have this charge too. And God will help you, elders. The Holy Spirit who has made you an elder or will make you an elder and overseer of this church yet in the future is the same empowering presence in you to strengthen you to defend and teach the gospel and to make disciples and help the congregants. You deacons, you have this charge in the work of God as well. You've been given a charge. I mean, look at 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 13. Men, those of you who are deacons, look at this passage. Let me read it to you. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. This boldness is the, the faith, uh, in the faith is a gift of God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit will help you to do your work as a deacon to which you have been entrusted. And then all of us have this charge. Not only pastors, not only elders, not only deacons, but all of us in the congregation. The charge to impart grace to one another. The charge to pass on God's truth to each other. The charge to help each other grow in Christ is on us all that we might come to the full measure of the maturity of the stature of Jesus Christ our Lord. And God is our help. Yes, prophecies have not been said over us. Those days are past. But we do have the Holy Spirit. And each and every single one of us, we have gifts of the Holy Spirit that God has sovereignly poured out upon you to be used for His kingdom. We have the Scriptures, and it is our sword. And we have the promise of Christ. Psalm 124, verse 8, Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. So, Bethel Church is entrusted with a charge from God Himself. And we have the help of God to help us to do it in 2024. This gives your life direction for the year ahead. Direction to be faithful to the church. When the elders call her to, you to worship, you come to worship. Direction to help you to bring your children to holy baptism. 
direction to come to Holy Communion. This is already set out in your life. This is the kingdom of God. This is the body of Christ. This is to whom I belong, for I am a member of the Lord. And so now, I know in 2024, God helping me, I'm going to be part of Bethel. We have a task as a church. And individually, you're part of that task. So, make up your mind in faith that I am going to be part of what God is doing in Elmer. And God is doing it through the church. This is His body. This is Him on earth. You are the hands and feet of Jesus Christ now that He's ascended upon high. We are His. His building, His temple, His body, His wife. We're His family. And He wants His message to get out there and He's going to do it through us. Okay, so what is the charge? We've looked at this wonderful um, challenge that we've been given, this charge that we've been given. What is the charge? Well, secondly, the charge is that we have to wage a good warfare for the gospel. Notice verse 18 and 19. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some, having rejected concerning the faith, have made, have suffered shipwreck. Now, okay, the gospel is the soul of the church. Christ is the soul of the church, but it is the death bullet to the devil. It's the death bullet to worldliness. It's the death bullet to Satan. So Satan and the evil world will do all that they can to twist the gospel, to rub out the gospel. Yet this gospel is the very power of God unto salvation, and God will not surrender his son or his son's gospel to the devil, so a war is on. The flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. There's that internal, personal war. But then there's the war between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. And you and I as a church, we're charged to defend and spread the gospel in the face of all the darkness and the evil that is out there. And all through Paul's letters, military images are associated with this service for Christ and his gospel. Look at 2 Timothy 2, 2 Timothy 4, 1 Corinthians 9, 2 Corinthians 10 that we read earlier, Philippians 2, Romans 13, Ephesians 6 that we read earlier as well. Over and over again, Paul uses a military example, military images that's connected with us as Christians that we would defend the gospel, that we would wage a good warfare. And you know what? This is a great battle. We don't like war. That's true. We hear of the war in Israel. We hear of the war in the Ukraine. We hear of the wars in other places. And we, th we see the death and the destruction and the pain that it causes to children and, and uh, older people and, and adults. But here we have a wonderful battle. Here we have an excellent battle. Because this battle is against Satan and false doctrine 
and false teachers. And this battle is so good because we battle for the blessing of sinners so that they might come to know Christ. Now, we are called to this battle because uh, we're not called to this battle because God's plans can be waylaid or taken off track by the evil. No, we're not called to the battle for this reason. God's will will always be done. All of God's people will yet come uh, to the faith and into the church. But God calls us to arms to encourage us in the will of God because the people whom God will save will come into the church through our ministry. This is how God has ordained it. To us has been given the Great Commission. To us has been given the charge to fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil. To us has been given the charge to to expose darkness and expose evil by proclaiming Jesus Christ. And in this great activity, the souls will be one. This is the will of God. I mean, think of your life, parents. You're to bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of Jesus Christ. And you ever sit there and you go, Lord, why did you give me this task? I can't do it. I made all this faux pas. I made all these sins. Why did you give me this task? But this is the wisdom of God. This is how God grows His church through the church. So this is the will of God. We could not get ourselves to fight, no. If God had not called us to fight for His cause, we would not fight for His cause. But God is loving God wants to bring us to our true humanity again. God wants to bring us into his life again. So you see, fighting the good fight of faith is one of God's graces in our lives. It's a wonderful thing to join this army. It's a work of grace for us to be able to say, no, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. It's a work of grace for you to say, "Um, I am going to stand with Christ. I'm not going to work on the Lord's day. It's a wonderful grace for you to help some false Jehovah witness to be rescued from that terrible cult which twists the doctrines of Christ. It's a joy. And you know, God tells pastors, and He tells elders, and He tells deacons, and He tells all of us how we are to wage this war, how we are to stand for the gospel. Notice the text says, Having faith and a good conscience. This is how we are to uh, fight the good fight of faith. Having faith and a good conscience. Now the word having means holding or keeping. Now if you ride a roller coaster at Canada's Wonderland and you hold tightly to the bar in front of you or hold tightly to your child grandparent that you're taking on the roller coaster if you dare, If you're holding on to your child tightly and holding on to the bar tightly, well, then you have the meaning of this word. We wage the good warfare of Christ and His gospel by always tightly, tightly holding on, holding on to the faith, first of all. Now, here, the faith refers to the doctrine as given by the apostles, the true gospel as we have in God's holy word. It was this faith that Hymenaeus and Alexander sought to destroy. 
But rather than destroy God's gospel, their rebellion, their bad conscience, their false teaching destroyed them. Because the text says, by rejecting this, some suffered shipwreck. And Hymenaeus and Alexander in their lives suffered shipwreck. They were ruined. Their souls were destroyed. Now, did their turning away from Christ wreck their personal faith? In other words, them turning away from the doctrines of the apostles, did that wreck their personal faith? In other words, you know, I don't have to believe the Bible, but I can have my personal faith in God and my own way for God, and I'm still good. I'll still go to heaven. Did their turning away from the doctrine of Christ wreck their personal faith? And the answer to that is yes. You see, our personal saving faith is connected to the true faith, to the true doctrines given to us, delivered to us by God. I mean, we cannot have true saving faith if we believe in false doctrine and reject the true faith as given to us by God. The Jehovah Witnesses, they believe in Jesus. The Mormons, they believe in Jesus. Islam believes in Jesus. And many people in our world believe in Jesus. But they don't have true faith. They're not Christians. They don't have true saving faith because they've rejected the Bible. Rejected the doctrines of God's holy word. The doctrines we are to believe are the doctrines of the Bible. They are true. And we wore a good warfare by learning and standing with God's word. So should we in 2024, must we learn more of God and God's Word together with the church, which is the pillar and ground of the truth as the church here at Bethel stands on the Holy Scriptures? Should I, need I, must I learn more of God's Word together with this congregation and Pastor Vogel and his preaching? Yes. Will you love God less by knowing more about Him? No. The deeper our knowledge of our infinite, loving, merciful, and holy God, the more our love will grow for Him, and the better we will be able to fight and use the sword of the Lord, the Word of God. You know, all scriptural doctrines are not equally sig uh, uh, significant in the church. But all scriptural doctrines are significant and beneficial. There are the fundamentals of the faith that we must have right. But all doctrine, not just the fundamentals, all doctrine builds us up in the most holy faith. So we should want to know this doctrine, that doctrine. We should want to know as much of the Bible as we can in 2024 in our homes, in our personal devotions, together in the church, because it will bless us. It will help us to grow and defend the gospel so that we wage a good warfare by tightly holding on to the faith. Secondly, we wage a good warfare by tightly holding on to a good conscience. To fight well, we must hold on to a clear Conscience. This is a repeated theme in the pastoral letters. What is this good conscience? It is fearing God. It is trusting Him to the point of following Him. Simply, 
It is loving what God loves and hating what God hates. Is that in your life? Loving what God loves and hating what God hates? Let me make this a little bit clearer. When a person is in Christ, their conscience is affected. They're changed. How? Well, the Holy Spirit begins to train the conscience, the mind, the will in godly love. And this affects our choices. We choose to do things God's way because we start loving God's way. That's what happens. By the Holy Spirit, we are beginning to be changed because we love God more. And as we love God more, we love God's way more. And you know what this brings to us? It brings to us personal holiness. I mean, if you as a husband, you love God's way, and you understand what God's way is for you as a husband to love your wife as Christ loved the church, well, well then you're going to grow in personal holiness. You're going to make decisions in your marriage that affect your love for your wife. And women, for those of you who are wives, if you reverence your husband, loving God's way, reverencing him as you love the Lord, this will help you to make right choices in your marriage and help you. You get my point. Timothy was to defend and spread the gospel with a holy life. And now, I'm not your pastor, but this is true, Bethel is to defend the gospel and wage a good warfare with a holy life. Not only that you are to be individually holy, but that the church here is to be holy too. So let me ask some probing questions. Are we in the Spirit's power growing in obedience to the Lord individually and also as a congregation together? Are we growing in our love as a church amongst one another and, and with the people that God has given us to serve in this city? Are we seeking to win people to Christ and disciple them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Are we worshiping God and participating in the sacraments faithfully of baptism and the Lord's Supper? And as a church, are we seeking to uphold the true gospel? Are we seeking to do all of this in holiness? If we answer yes to this, if we say yes, we are seeking to do all of this in uh, holiness with a good and holy conscience, well then we can wage a good warfare with our lives matching our preaching and our teaching. I know as a pastor, my life has to match what I preach. Or if my life is messed up, people won't listen to my preaching. You're not practicing what you preach. Well, the same holds true for a church. The church is preaching. And then the church is also living. Is the message from the pulpit also the message in our life corporately as a congregation? You see... Not only are we to be holy individually, but our church is to be holy as well. And so, my friends, 
We wage a good warfare by holding tightly onto faith, true doctrine, doing it with a good conscience. So let me give some practical points in my closing here. When you and I stand here at Bethel Church for Christ and His gospel against false teachers, against error, against the prince of the powers of darkness in this world, we must do so with the Bible. We must do so with the Scriptures, with doctrine, and with humility and meekness and love. We can't just be in the cage stage and be Bible thumpers and be rude to people. No, we must stand with truth in the apostolic word and have love at the same time. Be willing to suffer. Be willing to be humble. Secondly, let's listen to and preach the word together with the apostolic church. We are to defend the faith and war a good warfare with doctrine. The doctrine of the Word of God. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth, as Paul says in 1 Timothy 3. And so we, the church, have to guard it. And the Reformed Church has guarded it. In other words, we're a confessional church. We hold to the three forms of unity. And in our church, we hold to the standards of the Westminster. Do you want to know the Bible and what it teaches in its great message and truth? Study the Bible together with the church. Study the Bible together with the confessions. Study the Bible together with the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Athanasian Creed, the Chalcedonian Creed. The Jehovah Witnesses reject it all. The Mormons reject it all. The church shouldn't do that. We study God's Word, and we are to be noble like those in Berea, but we do that together with the congregation of Christ that has been true to the apostolic doctrine. Now, you know, we could say, I'm going to defend the faith and wage a good warfare all on my own. All on my own. I'm going to interpret the Bible, just me and the Bible, me, my, me and the Bible. And then, and then, you know, what happens is, well, then you, no church is good enough. <laughs> See, folks, this is the body of Christ. And this church is a confessional church. It believes in the apostolic authority of the Word of God. This is the authority. For us in 2024, if we're going to wage a good warfare, we have to know the Bible doctrine. And it has been given to us in the tradition of the church since the early church and even in our Reformed churches. And then thirdly and last of all, remember we have to wage a good warfare holding tightly to faith, but also holding tightly to a good conscience we cannot cover up sin. We can't cover up sin. This is the body of Christ locally assembled here. And we are still sinners. That is, we're saved, but we still have the remaining corruption in our lives. Some of us fall. Some of us backslide. Some of us doubt. Some of us get lethargic in our Christian life. 
We all have difficulties. We have to work with sin. We have to work through uh, so that people come back to Christ. We have all of these things, but we cannot cover up sin. We, We need to be clear in our conscience, knowing that Jesus will forgive us when we repent. Our leadership must be holy. We all should grow in holiness and confess when we sin. So let's be a humble, confessing church as we wage a good warfare and with love and truth, truth and love, face our sins and learn the love of God that He will forgive us for every transgression. But let's not cover things up. Our God is so powerful, He can deal with sin. We don't have to hide it from Him. When we bring it out into the open and confess it, He will justly forgive us of all our sins as we walk in His way. So, my dear friends, we, the church at Bethel and our church at Faith in Tilsonburg and the churches that are faithful to God throughout the Tri-County area, we are entrusted with a charge We must fight the good warfare of the faith, which is to preach, to live, and to stand for God's gospel in this world. And we have the greatest captain. He first warred a good warfare for our salvation. It says that he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. He is still warring through us through the church. He is still triumphing over his enemies as we, in his name, live his gospel before others and tell others that gospel. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to you for giving us this amazing privilege to be part of your plan on the earth. We thank you, God, that Bethel is here in Elmer. It is no mistake. It is not an accident. It is by your providential, sovereign will. And so you've given us a charge. Help us to take that charge to ourselves, to commit our life to you as we commit our life even to the life of the church. And then help us to wage the good warfare for the gospel, believing the true doctrines, and then also living a holy life. God, we know that our lives are not what they ought to be, but I thank you that they're not once what they were. I thank you that you are helping all of us who are your children to grow in grace and in the love of God. So use us, we pray. We give ourselves to you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.